Well, hello, folks. This is J.B. Hickson with NBW Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my studio beneath the sky, tucked away under the tall timbers of Colorado. Thank you so much for joining us. It is Friday, February the 2nd, 2024, and we have a very special podcast in store for you today. I'm going to be reposting an interview I did with the Firmamental podcast uh, and my good friends uh, over there uh, last week, or I think it was last week, might have been a little bit more than that, uh, but our audience has not heard it unless you stumbled upon it on their channel. And man, I had such a great discussion uh, with Raul, and I think Eric was filling in as a guest host, a, a guest co-host. But these are just some awesome guys. I really feel like I have a kindred spirit with them. They were so gracious. We talked about all things related to conspiracies and the Word of God and deception and what the devil is doing uh, in this uh, sin-stricken world. And so just a great discussion. We also got to talk a lot about the gospel and uh, share the good news. So I hope you enjoy this uh, podcast as much as I enjoyed the interview itself. Uh, I hope you have a great weekend. We're on the road, as you know, which is why we're reposting this video, or rather this podcast today. Uh, we had a great week of podcasts, though. Go back and check out all that we did. We started out on Monday with Lee Brainerd talking about imminence on the accelerator. Tuesday, we posted two podcasts, my Stand Up for the Truth interview from that day, as well as our Prophecy Night Q&A from Plum Creek Chapel. That took place Tuesday night this week. Wednesday, of course, was another power-packed edition of World Events Update with Randy. Uh, yesterday, I had Russ Miller on talking about false Christs and the Christian industrial complex. But today, uh, the Firmamental interview, uh, reposting uh, with my good friends over there at the Firmamental podcast. So I hope you enjoy. Uh, stand by, and we'll begin that interview uh, here in just a moment. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Firmamental Podcast. I am your host, Raul. We got a very special guest with us tonight that I will be introducing here just shortly. I did want to do some quick housekeeping notes with you guys. Just remind you to rate, share, subscribe to the show. Uh, hit us with that five-star rating. And uh, yeah, we got a lot of uh, interesting guests coming up. We got a great one with us tonight. With no further ado, I'm going to introduce you to tonight's guest. This is an individual I actually heard on Cliff. A buddy of ours, another friend of the show from Truth to Faith. We've got uh, Pastor J.B. Hickson with us from Not By Works Ministries in Denver, Colorado. He is an author. He has a podcast of his own, and and he's been in the ministry for quite some time. So I'll, I'll let J.B. introduce himself to you guys. And here he is, J.B. Hickson. Welcome to Firmamental. My hey, guys. Uh, hi, Raul, Eric. Just uh, thanks for having me on. Been looking forward to this. This is... Uh... This is going to be fun. I, I think we we get you know, this is one of those podcasts where we there's kind of no boundaries. We can we can talk about anything. I, I appreciate it. Uh, one clarification: uh, NBW Ministries is based out of Falcon, Colorado, which is about an hour oh. south of Denver. But I do have a church that I am privileged to be the teaching pastor at Plum Creek Chapel, that is up in the Denver suburbs in uh, Sedalia, Colorado, but basically the Denver area. Uh, so yeah, we kind of uh, are based out of Colorado, and my wife and I. Uh, been doing this a long time, been married 32 years. Uh, she's a key partner in the ministry. It's a family-run ministry. My One of my adult daughters works for us as well. Um, and uh, we've got six kids all together, one granddaughter. And just, uh, uh, I like what Eric said, just kind of uh, seeking the truth and, and, and unashamedly proclaiming the truth 
uh, even even in the face of great uh, you know great uh, persecution sometimes I mean nothing like what uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ have have faced for the last two thousand years but you know um, you know you ruffle a few feathers when you f- fly in the face of the mainstream narrative as you guys well know yeah absolutely and you know we I've heard you now on a, on a few podcasts I've listened to I've been consuming I I went and followed your show, gave you a five-star rating because I like your podcast. I listened to about four episodes now, of course, heard you on Cliff from Truth to Faith, but I was like, I love you, man, because I love pastors that will come on the show and give us, you know, talk about some of this true stuff that, you know, before has been taboo in a lot of church circles, right? And it seems like it's stuff you're not scared to talk about. So before we fired up the microphones, we just briefly touched on a few things, but I mean, well, I'm down to go wherever you're down to go, but I know you like to talk. Uh, uh, you had L.A. Marzui on your show, so let's start there. You know, what what you guys spoke about on that show, I think a lot of the firmamentalists are familiar with L.A. Marzui and his work. Uh, tell them about your podcast and a few of your guests, and we'll just let it flow organically and see what we get into. But uh, definitely that, that intrigued me when I saw you had L.A. on your show. Yeah, because your audience is probably new to, to NBW Ministries, it's probably worth taking a moment to kind of give you a little bit about our background and kind of how we first went down the rabbit hole. Um, so, you know, I was uh, saved at the age of six. That's when I trusted in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation and became a born-again Christian as a young young boy. Um, I have been passionate about the gospel all my life. You know, uh, we, when I graduated from college and went on to seminary, the Lord just really began to give me a burden about the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel. So I was, you know, basically your average uh, preacher, just trying to serve the Lord, start a family, uh, pastoring different churches. Uh, but it wasn't until about 18 years ago that uh, I woke up. That's kind of where I marked the moment. I tell this story in the introduction to my book, Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 1. But I had a friend, uh, a colleague in academia, but by that time I transitioned up into teaching full-time and at, at a college. And a buddy of mine that I respected... Uh, uh, we go to lunch together two or three times a week. Uh, at one of these lunches, he just started unfolding for me a lot of the truth behind some of the mainstream narratives that uh, you know I grew up believing. And I remember very vividly being struck with how crazy he sounded, and yet I respected him enough as a friend and colleague that I couldn't just dismiss it. So it, it really got a hold of me, and I went home and and stayed up all night looking at YouTube videos back when you know you could still find truth on YouTube. These days, they've scrubbed most of it. But that just started a journey that my wife and I went down. It changed our life. It re- we realized that uh, nothing is as it appears. That almost everything we've learned in mainstream uh, compulsory uh, run government schooling is is a lie. And uh, and but but with my biblical background and my commitment to a proper handling of Scripture, I had to to run everything through the grid of Scripture. And so I think what has been unique about uh, you know my uh, ministry and our ministry and the books that I've written, I've written 12 books now, is that it's I'm one of the few guys out there that's maintaining a consistent dispensational biblical viewpoint of Scripture and yet has you know still not is still not afraid to point out a lot of the uh, conspiracies. you know I, I, in my first, a uh, Spirit of the Antichrist book, I talk about the biblical view of conspiracies, how that term is used in Scripture, Old and New Testament alike. It's very uh, common. And of course, the greatest conspiracy of all is the conspiracy between Satan 
uh, his evil celestial beings, which includes demons, Nephilim, fallen angels, whatever, and human accomplices. It's that that triad, you know, evil people, uh, the evil spirits, and Satan working together to try to take over this world, defeat God, and uh, usher in the, the one world system. And so that's the greatest conspiracy of all. And that's what I outline in my last three books. And uh, boy, from there, it just touches on every mainstream conspiracy uh, you can think of. Uh, but, you know, I like to remind people, I I don't uh, I believe in the conspiracy theories that are not true, but I do believe in the conspiracy theories. That <laughs> and, you know, a theory is just speculation about something and a conspiracy is just two or more people working together to do something evil or illegal. And so, you know, it's nothing, there's nothing wrong with theorizing about what might be a lie. And sometimes you go, no, I mean, I, I agree with the mainstream narrative, but more often than not, I go, man, they're lying through their teeth. Yeah. So you did mention about 18 years ago. So without getting into it, because I don't want to get into 9-11, that we, we, we talk about it quite a bit. And I assure you, your knowledge on that is extensive. But what I'm curious, was it 9-11 that kind of got you going? It was so it was 18 years ago. So I was trying to. I was yeah. So it was 2007, or uh, yeah, about 2006, right around in there. And um, you know, so when 9/11 happened, of course, I remember it very vividly. I was teaching full time. Uh, we canceled classes that day, um, and I, like everybody else in America, I was riveted to the TV. But I was still wrapped up in the uh, you know sort of the Republican version of 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 the worldview. And, and so I, for the next five or six years, I continued to be deceived and, you know, uh, championed all of the conservative causes. We got to go get those bad guys. We got to destroy Iraq, even though Iraq had nothing to do with 9-11, even in the official narrative, yet yeah. a million Iraqi civilians. That's wonderful. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just continued to buy it until that moment. But yeah, it was the 9-11 reality, which you know, again, that's that used to be the third rail. I, in fact, I've still got people that have sort of, mm -hmm. you know, said we won't have you on our our show because you don't buy the the nine eleven narrative, hook, line, and sinker. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sorry if I believe hard empirical science and evidence, and you know, yes, uh, I mean that's just the way I am. And uh, so, you know, buildings don't fall at free fall speed into their own footprint because of furniture fires, you know, and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> that's what really got me going down the rabbit trail and then once i once i realized that 911 wasn't all that it cracked up to be and and be to be clear in case you know some of our audience is listening and we don't talk about 911 all that much although like i said i mentioned it in in the book a little bit mm -hmm. you know I, there definitely were hijackers there's definitely was you know people that, that 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 you know died and so forth it's just it wasn't this unexpected you know Cons you know, unexpected conspiracy where some dialysis patient on his last leg, you know, living in a cave in Afghanistan, managed to you know harness the brilliance of nineteen millennials in turbans and box cutters to defeat the mightiest military in the world and to you know cause three high-rise steel frame buildings to collapse into their own footprint by flying planes into two of them. Yeah, I mean, you know, that just. You know, it, it, the official narrative lacks credulity on so many points. I have a whole bookshelf with 30 different books on it. One of them is that thick, and it's got thousands of smoke, literally over a thousand smoking gun evidences. 
So it really happened. It, it's, you know, people really did die. Not everybody was in on it, but there, it definitely was an inside job. And when I came to grips with that, uh, Raul, I was so angry at myself for having been deceived that that launched me into what has become our driving passion for the last 17, 18 years, which is what else have I been lied to about? You know? Yeah. So you did mention too, though, that you, your wife got on board with you. That's that could be a. I, I've seen people that go down the rabbit trails and go down, you know, the path of truth seeking and trying to sift through the lies and and find out what's real. Of course, praying to our Father in heaven and asking Him for discernment and Him to bring us divine messages and the truth to lead us the right path, so we lest we not be deceived. And you're completely right. I agree with you. You know, the way you started it off talking about the conspiracy between, you know, Lucifer, Satan, you know, his minions and 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 flesh and blood rulers of this world working in unison with one another, right? For we battle not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities in high places. So I completely agree with you on that. And I like that the fact that you set it off with that, but I've seen, you know, uh, I've seen this stuff tear apart couples. So your, yeah. your wife was cool. She got on board with stuff. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. You know, my wife is, is awesome. And uh, she went down this journey with me side by side. I think we were both so stunned really that this could happen it's the same kind of look you get from people uh who who've never really looked into it it's 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 less and less these days cuz because by far now the majority of people understand we were lied to about 911 even 6 of the 10 911 commissioners later admitted it was an inside job so it's mm-hmm. not as bad as it was when we first started waking up but we lost friends over it we we yeah. had used tension with relatives but she was right there with me we were kind of you know, I think because we woke up together and experienced it together, it it strengthened our bond. But she nice. was actually the one that encouraged me to write the Spirit of the Antichrist books, which basically detail the Luciferian conspiracy from a biblical worldview from cover to cover. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, in, in saying that, we'll kind of fast forward to more modern times and get into some of this other stuff that I want to get into, in, into with you tonight, because man, you like to talk about a lot of stuff that we love to talk about on this show. But, you know, I, I think you're right. I think there's a lot of people that were asleep. And I think some people, they call it cognitive dissonance, right? Some people choose to to remain in their comfortable little world and think, you know, nothing's going to change, nothing's going to happen. And, and we as believers see the world changing in front of us. I mean, even people that I know that are believers have come to be believers because the world has gotten so strange over the last four years or so. Right. And I think that the enemy overplayed their hand during what I like to call the pandemic. You know, uh, there's so much information that surfaced, you know, in the last few years that exposed a lot of the corruption, which I was keen to <laughs> before it happened. I, I, was, I wasn't on board with, with the mainstream narrative right from the jump. I saw right through it. But a lot of people didn't initially, you know, see, see it for what it was. But I think, you know, the COVID pandemic definitely woke people up. And just when we, we see strange things, right? Like uh, this, the, the narratives that they're pushing in public schools, uh, you know, tranny story time for kindergartners, you know, the things that we're seeing in movies and media and social media that have become the social norms that before were considered completely taboo. And now if you speak out against this, we're hate mongers, right? We're these religious zealots and fanatics. And it's like, well, we need to pump the brakes on this stuff, man. This this is not normal. There's nothing normal about this, you know? So 
what's your thoughts on, on just the current state of the world and and w- what the pandemic has done to people? And have you noticed people through your ministry and o- other truth seekers or people wanting to know the truth? What do you think about what's happened in the last four years? You think it's waking people up a little bit more? I do, no question about it. I think the uh, the control of Irish scamdemic, uh, which was all about control, and it was most definitely a scam, uh, woke people up. I think the stolen election woke people up. Even though I was talking about uh, and 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 hip to the whole stolen election, rigged elections for you know fifteen years. Uh, that was one of the earliest things I came to realize was that we don't have elections, we have selections. Uh, nevertheless, the 2021 was so blatant that a lot of people who previously wouldn't accept that fact uh, now came to realize, you know what, I think these elections are rigged, you know. So I think between all of that, uh, definitely people are waking up. And what's exciting about it from a spiritual perspective is that it gives us a, a real open door to the gospel. And so our when we do our podcast every day and I speak at conferences around the country, I'm always acutely aware of the fact that I'm not just preaching to the choir. Uh, I want to. I definitely want to, to use the Word of God to build up the faith of believers, but at the same time, I'm always very conscious of the fact that a lot of people are awakening to reality and realizing they've been lied to, but they don't really have an answer for it. And so, mm-hmm. the gospel is the power of God to salvation, and I always, you know, believe in trying to clearly articulate the gospel. So, I think we are seeing, you know, a somewhat of an end times pockets of revival on a small scale, the remnant, while at the same time we're seeing the vast majority of people uh, falling away and being deceived, just like scripture says they will be. Yeah, I agree with you. And and I definitely, and, and I'm going to get you in here, Eric, because I know you probably got some questions for JB, but uh, before I pass it over to you, I just did want to give a, a little bit of my, you know, this is just my own opinion on it, but I, you know what? Faith in Christ really brings me security, and I, I really wish and would stress to the people out there that don't have Christ or relationship with Jesus or Yeshua in their life. You know, I would really stress them to to pick up their Bible and and look into this and pray and seek the Father's face, and He'll reveal Himself to you. I really, truly, honestly believe that. You know, and when we get to know that the enemy is all about deception, and that when we've been duped into believing a lot of these things with the enemy's whole strategy, demonic spirits feed on fear. And if you notice what our world is selling us, it's, it's, you know, fear of the next deadly disease, fear of terrorists, fear of insurrectionists, fear of this, fear of that. And they're pitting groups against each other just within this own country, you know, fear of terrorists coming across our border, uh, you know, fear of, you know, the world war three, fear of nuclear bombs, fear of this fear, fear of being slammed by meteors. I mean, it's just like one thing after another, after another. And I tell people, you have to, at some point, disconnect from this stuff and realize that this is just a control tactic strategy that they're using. And these demonic spirits feast on those fears. And so when fear and anxiety is at all, at all time high, these things are like getting energized by this level of fear. And if we just realize that we can wake up, pray to our father in heaven, don't worry about the things that are out of our control because he's in control. And just focus on the things that we can control and just have the best interactions with the people in our family, friends, loved ones, workmates, schoolmates, whatever, whatever you do in your life. And just have, try to have the best interactions with those people on a face-to-face basis. You know, shut off the tell-eye vision for a while. You know, think for yourself and let go of what you can't control. Just focus on what you can control. 
And the world could change almost instantaneously. But so many people, like they want to be spoon fed information, you know, and, and, and people are addicted to social media. People are addicted to the news. People are addicted to movies. And we don't realize the psychological <laughs> damage that it does to our psyche and our subconscious and our brains. But really, when you people think that, oh, it's conspiracy, it's scary, you find this stuff out, it's so scary to know the truth. I think it's the exact opposite, right? I think that, that, that if we know the truth, then we can expose the wizard behind the curtain and we can bring real change because God's leaving it up to us in a sense as his body on earth to do these works. He's not going to come down and do everything for us, right? We have, I, I know your, your, your ministry is not by works alone, but at the same time as followers in God, we have to do some of the groundwork, right? He has soldiers on a mission. He has people on a mission to fulfill for his kingdom on earth. So I don't know. I just kind of look at that. And I think it's exciting to be going through this stuff because, you know, us believers, we know we're on the winning team. Yeah. No, that's right. I, I've said many times when when things are falling apart on earth, it, it means they're coming together perfectly the way God wants them to. You know, that that's the sign of the times. And so, but you're right. There's a whole segment of the population that does not want to look behind the curtain. And uh, you're also spot on about fear. I mean, fear is Satan's number one tactic. I mean, he he thrives in fear. I mean, we don't even have to get into the whole satanic ritual abuse and adrenochrome. Yeah. Like, how about that in chapter Oof. 13 of, of volume two, uh, Spirit of the Antichrist, volume two. And by the way, folks can go to spiritoftheantichrist.org, spiritoftheantichrist.org to kind of read more about that book and read the preface and see the table of contents. But yeah, I mean, Christians are never supposed to be scared, but we are supposed to be prepared. Um, you know, you Proverbs twenty-two three makes it very clear: He who the wise person sees trouble coming and prepares for it, uh, a fool doesn't. So uh, they're not mutually exclusive. You're absolutely right. Uh, you know, there's no sense worrying about what we don't have control over, but what we do have control over, we don't want to worry in the sense of you know Matthew six and Jesus telling us not to worry, but we do want to pay attention to it. I mean, if you're yes. camped out on the railroad track and you hear the horn. And you see the the head, you know, the light coming. Obviously, you need to go uh, get off the track. It doesn't do any good to close your eyes and stop your ears and say na 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 and pretend that there's not a locomotive coming down upon you. So, I just think people create this false dichotomy that if you look into and study truth and what the enemy is doing with this great conspiracy to try to destroy the world, then you don't have faith. Or you know, if you have Faith, you know, if you if you prepare and 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 you know equip yourself and and store up, you know, food and supplies and things, then somehow, you know, you don't have faith. I mean, it's they're not mutually exclusive. The but proverb says, "Horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is from the Lord." So it's it's both. And um, so yeah, I'm with you. It's uh, you know, we I, and by the way, you know, you talk about fear. That's what caused so many uh, people. Uh, so so many victims to to line up dutifully and roll up their sleeve and take mm-hmm. an untested gene altering bio injection that is now proven to be killing people. Uh, and I don't for a second believe what a lot of my friends and colleagues uh, speculate about that. Oh, they'll never be able to pull that over on us again. Everybody's mm-hmm. up to it. Yeah, I never underestimate the power of fear and the stupidity of of the American people. Uh, I, I think all they got to do is ratchet it up. It's got to be a more deadly virus and a more deadly threat, and people will clamor to do whatever the government tells them to do. Sadly, you know. Yeah, and Eric, I'm going to get you in, but uh, real quick, I didn't want to touch on what you mentioned on the vaccine because uh, the 
you know, right away, I, 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 I didn't take the vaccine myself. I popped the brakes on it. My, what I went to school for was actually EMS, but I worked my way up to advanced EMT. So I had IV skills. And what I found out is I could get a job at a med- as a medical supervisor at a plasma center. And uh, I would make more money and I would be able to uh, give physicals to people to see if they were fit for donation. But also what we were doing is we had clinical trials going for, for drugs that were, uh, you know, in clinical phases to see before they gave release to the public. And we would have test subjects that were going through these programs. And when we were getting their donation, we would, we would send in the data for research on these drugs. And so I knew when this vaccine had come out, I was like, I don't care how safe and effective they say it is. This, they're just completely skipping the third, fourth, and fifth clinical phases, not to mention, like you said, it has a gene altering solution, has graphene oxides, has what, you know, uh, now we're finding out that uh, implications of nanotechnology, you know, and, and uh, a lot of people don't realize too, is they use stem cells from aborted fetuses. And we as Christians, our, our bodies are our temple that house the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we know what our faith says vehemently about abortion. So you're going to inject a gene that changes the, the genetic code that God gave me. It changes my genetic code you know, uh, stem cells, aborted, uh, aborted fetuses, all this stuff, uh, untested, oh. unproven. And yeah, I, yeah there's, the biggest, like, there's no way, there's no way I'm putting this in my body. Yeah. The biggest chapter in my book, Spirit of the Antichrist volume one is chapter nine, all about big pharma and vaccines. And for those who bought the, the lie from the, the mainstream media and authorities that they didn't use aborted fetuses, that is an absolute provable, verifiable fact. I, I list the actual stem cell names and numbers where they came from. We know the what, whether we know what babies were aborted to do it. We know what parents aborted the baby. We know everything about it. It's a fact. And and one of my things that really gets me riled up is when evangelical cons- so-called conservative Christians were out there touting this and encouraging uh, Christians to get this thing. And then when you ask them, like Robert Jeffress, for example, on Fox News, I have this uh, transcript in my book, you know, they asked him, well, you know, what do you think about the fact that they used aborted fetuses? He doesn't even deny it. He actually likened it to the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And he said, well, you know, Jesus Christ died and that was a bad thing, but a good thing came from it. So if a good thing can come from these abortions, well, then that's okay. Sickening. Absolutely sickening. So, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's bring uh, let's bring Eric in and see. Uh, he's yeah. nodding over there, so uh, <laughs> I hope he agrees with what we're saying. Oh yeah, I mean, it's aborted fetuses. It's almost like a form of cannibalism when you're injecting that into you, whether you're eating it or not. I mean, you're putting something completely foreign in your body. And I totally agree with you on the elections. Uh, back when I had Netflix, I watched an episode or two of the John Adams. Mm show the series and it was like the first episode of the second episode they talked about how that election was rigged to make washington the first president yeah yeah (laughs) you know and so i i it's hard to believe it's like everyone freaked out about the you know this last election everyone saying election fraud well they've been saying it for every election i've been alive for i'm only 42 but every election i've been alive they've mentioned it somehow yeah, I, I have a whole section in volume two. I'm looking for uh, chapter seven is all co- is called fake elections, and I give the history of it. And uh, you know, the fact is, when they went to digital vote tabulation, um, even if you still have the paper ballots, the, it's the vote tabulation that's the key. 
you know, like Stalin said, I, I, you know, I care not who casts the votes as long as I'm the one that you know gets to count them. Uh, that's a that's a paraphrase, uh, but uh, I have the exact quote in my book. But um, and by the way, all three books have combined over a hundred pages of bibliographic citations. This stuff is well documented, so people can go and research it for themselves. Volume two has sixty pages by itself. Volume one had uh, a thirty-eight. Volume three or the third book, which is Spirit of the False Prophet, has over forty. So, I mean, this is not just, you know, making stuff up. I mean, this is, you know, I come from academia. I'm, I am I have a PhD. I've studied, you know, in academia for years, and I was trained to, to you know, to document correctly and, you know, have published in a lot of theological journal articles and stuff. So, I applied the same uh, stringent uh, rules, if you will, to researching this uh, conspiracy stuff. And it doesn't mean that I'm, I'm infallible or perfect. Uh, I mean, I, there's no perfect book other than the Bible. But, you know, I stand behind the stuff that I wrote in there, and I think you can study it for yourself and hope people will come to their own, their, the same conclusion. But uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off oh, there. No, you're good. I, I think that's how we all are as truth seekers. We, we are able to admit that we were wrong and we can change our perspective because sure. we learn new information and stuff. Um, as far as uh, like uh, being an academic and, and, you know, such a Bible scholar, because I'm just coming back new into my faith. I wasn't really raised that way or anything i was raised in a wild you know sex drug and rock and roll life mm. and i've just had a newfound faith and because all every rabbit hole i've gone to has led me back to christ and the bible and mm-hmm. it all coincides and it all it's just you look you can find anything there is and it just it all works together it's just it's insane um what do you think about the canonization of the bible like all the council and i see and all the different books that they edited out do are you against people looking into those, or do you think you yeah. should study some of those? No, I, I think uh, the, the process of canonization, and, and I've taught on this for years, and uh, my degrees in systematic theology, uh, is not the process of us you know, determining what books are inspired. God's the one that determined that. Uh, the process of canonization is the church's process over time of discovering what is inspired. So it's kind of like when you pan for gold. I mean, you don't get to pick up a, a piece of fool's gold or pie gold or pyrite or whatever they call it and say and declare it to be gold. It either is or it isn't. And so we have no question, based on the Bible's own testimony and the doctrine of preservation, that the sixty-six books that we hold in our hand, thirty-nine in the Old Testament, written in Hebrew and Aramaic, and, and twenty-seven in the New Testament, written in Koine Greek, constitute God's self-revelation to man. Uh, there are. A lot of other uh, historic books from around the same time in the New Testament that would be around the first century that have historical value, uh, like Josephus's works. He was a contemporary of Christ, or a lot of these uh, apocryphal books like the books of Enoch that are extremely valuable, and in many ways they complement uh, some of the yes. information that we read in the Word of God, but they're not inspired, inerrant, infallible. And the, they don't, you know, the, the Bible, the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the only book on the planet when you read it, it's doing something to you. It has that living and dynamic quality. Uh, when you read the books of Enoch or you read some of these other uh, ancient documents, they have historical value and we learn from them, but they're not changing our life in the spiritual sense that the the living, breathing Word of God does. So uh, that's my take on, on you know, Bibliology, as we call it, in a nutshell. 
I did want to ask you in the New Testament, though, uh, Jesus references Enoch himself. Do you, are you familiar with that scripture? Oh, yeah. And in fact, uh, the books of Enoch are quoted uh, in the New Testament. But so that portion that's quoted is, in fact, inspired. It's what God uh, you know, wanted us to have as his self-revelation of mankind. So the Bible is God's way of saying, here I am, look at me. Everything yeah. he wanted us to know specifically in terms of special revelation about him is revealed in the Word of God. So there's general revelation, which is nature, uh, conscience, uh, providence. You know, everybody knows there's a God, as Romans 1 said, because of general revelation. But general revelation is not sufficient to lead us into a saving relationship with our Lord. We have to have the gospel. We have to have the specifics. And so yes, for a period of about 1,500 years, starting in 1446 BC and running until the end of the first century AD, God chose to unveil himself through the pen of human authors. And when the, the quill hit the sheepskin, so to speak, the result was the perfectly infallible word of God. He did it through the use of 40 different human authors. Uh, over, again, 1,500 years from three different continents in three different languages, and yet the continuity is nothing short of, of supernatural, proving uh, that it's uh, divine. Uh, one example would be, you know, in Genesis, uh, we read about uh, the temptation. And uh, so I'll test you guys' uh, Bible knowledge here. Who tempted Eve in the garden? The serpent. Perfect. Uh, any any other answer that you can think of? Eric, I'll give this one to you. Um, well, if it wasn't the serpent, is it was it like wasn't the serpent part of the Elohim, like one of God's counsel before it was? No, cast? no I didn't mean to throw you off. Uh, Raul's right; it's the serpent. But what? Who was the serpent? Is it, well, is it her who we call Satan, or is is it, it, exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. So. A lot of times you'll ask Bible students that question and they'll say, oh, Satan, you know, the devil tempted Eve. And, and that's right too. But what's my point? If you read the book of Genesis, you can read the entire book of Genesis, all 50 chapters. You won't find a single reference anywhere in the book to the devil or Satan. Yeah, it doesn't say a name. It just right. says, yeah. So how do we know that the serpent is the devil? Well, you got to fast forward 1,500 years across continents, different languages, to the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, chapter 12, that tells us that serpent of old who is the devil and Satan. So, wow. Yeah. So I'm just saying that's an example of, of what we call comparing Scripture with Scripture and the amazing continuity of, of God's Word. And, and so, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's my take on it. Nice. I like that. And that's amazing when you put it that that grand scheme when you put it in that grand scheme and you talk about divinely divine inspiration, forty authors, three continents, fifteen hundred years, and yet the continuity of the book, like you're and, and it's not just a book, obviously, but you know, I've read the good book, right? Yeah. But uh you you it's it's a living text too. It's 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 a it's a history book, but it's also alive. And it's still playing out. And we see it happening now before our very eyes. We see certain things coming to pass that we're like, wow, it relates to scripture in this way or in that way. I didn't want to bring up, and this will kind of kind of shoot into some more stuff that we like to get into in this show. But, you know, talking about Enoch and the extra apocryphal books, and and like you said, I believe there's a lot to be learned there. Um, I don't want to get into the specifics of some of that stuff because I, I like what you had to say. Um, but there was two two 
humans that didn't die human deaths, right? And that would be Elijah mm-hmm. and Enoch, right? Mm-hmm. And I'd heard recently somebody bring up the fact that they think the two witnesses in the end times that will appear quite possibly could be Enoch and Elijah because they are two humans that never died. And it says in the Bible, I don't know the exact scripture and you probably do, but you know, all humans must die, right? Yeah. Hebrew, so I heard this, fine. Yeah. yeah. I heard, I heard a theory that they have to come back to experience human death because all humans must die because they have not died yet. What's your thoughts on that? Have you ever heard anything about this or what do you think about that? Yvette? Oh yeah, no, that's a, that's a very common view. Uh, a lot of people will think that the, you know, suggest that the two witnesses that appear at the midpoint of the seven year tribulation prior to the return of Christ uh, to establish his kingdom are Enoch and Elijah for that reason. That's a, that's a theological extrapolation and, you know, it's hard to argue against it because you know, it's kind of like if A, then B, if B, then C, if C, therefore D. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hebrews 9.25 says, you know, it's appointed unto men once to die after this, the judgment. But there are some, there is some speculation involved there. You know, for example, as far as the biblical record is concerned, we have no record of Enoch and Elijah's death. Um, and secondly, I think there's a, a, a case to be made, and this is honestly the view that I hold, although you have to be uh, gracious and you can't be dogmatic. Because if the if God wanted us to know the precise identity of the two witnesses, the Word of God would have told us. So, but I lean more towards the view of Moses and Elijah. They were the ones that were present in Matthew 17 on the Mount of Transfiguration, which prefigures okay. the kingdom, uh, and they're you know some of the most revered um, you know prophets in Israel. Uh, so you know again, but it's a very common and a very I think well thought out. Uh, and, and there's a lot of support for it in scripture that it's Enoch and Elijah. Yeah. Awesome. So, uh, now, now transitioning, obviously talking about the book of Enoch and, uh, you know, I, I got into this at one point because living in Northern New Mexico, you're in Colorado, just North of us. And I know you guys have a lot of <laughs> paranormal, what I would call paranormal activity up there as well. And, you know, being true seekers and, uh, what they would call conspiracy theorists, but I, I just really, I don't really like that term anymore. You know, they came up with that during the whole JFK thing to discredit people questioning the mainstream narrative. Right. But, uh, you know, we have, I mean, it, just here in New Mexico, I've had a handful of what I would consider to be UFO experiences. And at one time, I, after you have these experiences, you're like, I want to know what that was. What was that? And obviously with shows like Ancient Aliens, and then I got into um, Eric Von Daniken and kind of this ancient astronaut theory and, and you know, like who really made these ancient megaliths and were they inspired by extraterrestrials? And, you know, I, I went down that whole rabbit hole, but, you know, praying to God, I just kept praying to God. I want to know the truth. I want to know what these things were. I've never actually seen like what they would consider to be an ET or an alien or extraterrestrial, but I've definitely seen things that cannot be explained by the crafts that we know that exist. Now, what do the our governments and world militaries have in secret? Who knows what they have? Because now I think that they're working with these entities, which I believe are fallen angels and deep underground military bases. And where does the Bible say these things are at inside of the earth, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I think now, but you know, uh, I'll get to it, but I had this UFO experience and, you know, I kept praying to God and, and the, the scariest one that I had, thank, thank God I wasn't by myself because I think I might've passed out from fear, but we had 
uh, with my best friend and my ex, we had this experience um, in the summer of 2017 in northern New Mexico. The only thing I can say was, I mean, this UFO was huge. It was like the size of two Walmart stacked on top of each other. And this thing came right up on us and it was coming right at us. And before it came out, there was orbs floating in a field. And this is way out in the sticks. So, you know, we didn't even have our phones on us. They were in the house charging and we were on the property up high on a ridge. And, you know, this all happened. And uh, the only thing I could think of to do was to pray. So I started praying. And as I prayed in Jesus' name and was asking for his, his protection and praying in the Holy Spirit, this thing broke apart. And it flew like it was going to fly towards the mountain. And it's almost like it hit a wormhole and vanished. But it was there and then it wasn't there. But it, it didn't move until I you invoked his name, right? Yeah. And this this is when I said, wow, like I will never, it's one of the events that happened in my life that I was like, wow, Jesus, you are who you claim to be. And your name really does have power and dominion over all, all spirits on heaven and earth. And I will not question you, Lord. Thank you, because whatever that was, it 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 went away when I said your name. So fast forward a little bit and and, and keep speaking the truth and and reading scripture and extra biblical texts and, and listening to listening to podcasts and stuff. I believe God has shown me what these entities really are, and now I look at them and I say, well, they're actually demonic in nature, and they they've always been here. They're, they're, they're probably working with uh, world governments and deep underground military bases. Do I know? No, I'm speculating, but there's been enough whistleblowers. There've been enough people that have experienced the abduction phenomenon. And when you really, really, really research it from that lens, it makes a lot of sense of the alien abduction phenomenon because these things, which are eternal and what, right? The offspring were the Nephilim and God wiped them out and they were cursed to roam the, the earth as disembodied spirits. So I also think that artificial intelligence has something to do with this, like giving these disembodied spirits vessels to inhabit. Like, for God's sake, if we connect neurolinks to our brain, <laughs> can these demonic spirits overtake us? You know, will will our temple become the house of these demonic spirits? I think that very well could be a thing. And I also think that the the fallen angels, the ones that have always been here, uh, I I they they were procreating with humans at one time. And I don't think they're allowed to anymore, but they're obsessed with genetics. And I think the reason why is because they are outnumbered. So the alien abduction phenomenon is actually them trying to amass like a hybrid army to wage war with God in the end times. And that's kind of where I've come to in my understanding of what these things are. So I'm going to shoot it over to you. That was kind of a lot there. No, that's tell you the story to, to give you, I didn't tell the whole story and I wasn't super descriptive. I, I, done that before. So I didn't want to do that again to the listeners, but I wanted to tell you to hear what you have to say about that. And what's your thoughts on, on some of what I touched on? Yeah, no, that was, that's fascinating. You did touch on a lot and I was taking some notes here of some, some comments that I want to make, but let's start with the big picture. Um, so, you know, any of this information, you kind of got to start with what, what can definitely not be true because it contradicts scripture versus what might be true. And so everything you just described could be true. I mean, it's nothing in it if you understand Scripture and you look at the text itself that prohibits that from being uh, true. Then, as you said, at certain points, we get into sort of speculation about the details about how this might have been. For example, uh, I personally believe that the fallen angels are still uh, having more incursions uh, after the flood 
Uh, now, you mentioned you know they're not allowed to do that anymore. I, I have other friends and colleagues who think they would never do that again because they saw what happened to the, the original fallen angels who you know came down and cohabited with women. They're they're put in prison in Tartarus, and it yes. tells us that there's another archangel. You know, I forget what his name is, Muriel, I think. But anyway, whatever his name is, according to Enoch, uh, which again we don't know if that's 100 percent accurate or not, but it's just interesting that Enoch said there he's guarding the gates of of Tartarus, and they won't ever be set free. The ones in the abyss that are imprisoned in the abyss, they'll be set free at the midpoint of the tribulation to join Satan's final battle. But uh, those ones that, that left their proper domain, as Jude says, and came down and 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 had sex with women and produced the, the hybrid race of Nephilim, they're not active anymore. But the offspring are. Now, uh, you, you uh, uh, seem to be espousing the view, which a lot of people do, and I'm very sympathetic toward the view. I just haven't kind of landed there 100% yet, that the Nephilim are specifically the disembodied spirits. Uh, I mean, sorry, the demons are specifically the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. Um, I think that's entirely possible, and I may I reserve the right to, to land on that view as I continue to, to study all this. Mm -hmm. My working theory all along has been, uh, well, first of all, let's go back to, again, what, what we know from Scripture. Genesis 6-4 is not ambiguous. The Nephilim existed both before and after the flood. And there have been many attempts by conservative scholars who just can't get their hands around such a notion to try to explain that verse away in a number of other uh, you know, ways, but the text speaks for itself. So the question then becomes, how and in what way are the Nephilim still around after the flood, which destroyed everybody but Noah and his eight righteous people. Well, it's my it always been my view, and again, I'm, I'm holding it with a bit of tension because I'm really very much intrigued by the, the, the view that I just talked about, that, the, that it's just the disembodied spirits. But an alternative view is that the Nephilim, by definition, are hybrids. Uh, and by the way, I get into all this in chapters 9 and 10 of Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2, with the paranormal, and they can shapeshift. Uh, they they have the ability to skinwalk, uh, to take on materialistic form at, versus you know going back up into non-material spiritual realm. Um, and so, in my view, when the floodwaters rose, they just shapeshifted into their spirit form, hung out in the heavenlies, uh, and then as the waters receded, they were able to shapeshift again back into their physical form. So I, I don't see uh, no one's really given me a good explanation as to. Uh, you know, why that's not possible. Uh, L.A. and Mondo and some of the guys I really respect on this issue, I mean, we don't agree on everything, but, uh, you know, they suggest that, you know, they weren't able to shapeshift, therefore their bodies died and perished in the flood, but their spirits survived. And when it says there were afterwards Nephilim, it's talking about their spirits. But in the original use of the term Nephilim, no one would have created that dichotomy, you know. They they wouldn't have naturally thought yeah. of, you know, if they say there's nephilim afterwards, they think of it in physicality. So that's one, you know, scenario where they could have survived the flood. And I, I haven't seen any biblical uh, texts that would negate that. Another option, though, is, and a lot of people hold this view, that the you know the those nephilim may or may not have perished, but either way, the reason there's nephilim afterwards is additional fallen angels did it again, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's so, and, yeah. 
And so, but I love what you said. Not not very many people have picked up on that. I've talked about it a lot, but that is that Satan, in terms of this cosmic battle, and that's let's not forget that this is all a, ultimately a grand conspiracy. It started in heaven. Satan got kicked yeah. out of heaven after his coup attempt failed, and now he set his sights on this earth. The whole world is under the sway of the wicked one, 1 John 5, 19. He's the God of this age, the prince of the power of the air, all of those things. So his army can only decrease in size in conventional means. In other words, uh, when people get saved, they are transferred from children of wrath to children of God. They're part of the family of God. The uh, Bible is very clear that can never change. We're not saved by works. You, you don't get saved and unsaved and saved and unsaved based on your you know behavior. It's by grace. It's a free gift. And Jesus says, when you trust in me, you have Amen. eternal life. So once someone gets saved by faith, they're off limits. I mean, I mean, Satan still attacks believers to try to discredit us and hurt us and hurt our testimony and so forth. But as far as soldiers and his army, he's never getting them back. Um, fallen angels. There's a finite number of angels. They don't yes. create with each other. So one third of the original created angels fell. So Satan's already from the beginning working at a two to one disadvantage. But then some of those one-third, as we said, have been locked up in Tartarus because of, of the unholy intrusion. And so he's even got less than a third of the starting number now. And they're not going to increase or decrease. They don't die. They don't procreate with each other. So the only way that he can increase the size of his army was through this Genesis 6 incursion. And he knew that. He knew that early on, that if he's going to win this battle, he needs help. He's not omnipotent. He's not omnipotent. Yeah. He's not omnipresent, uh, and that gets into another thing I'll, I'll say for a moment uh, as to why the modern UFO era started in 1947. But I absolutely believe that these uh, uh, alien, ab so-called alien abductions, uh, which we don't believe aliens are uh, you know, beings from another planet or biological beings from Mars or whatever, we think it's all dimensional, demonic, spiritual. Um, but so absolutely, I think you know these guy, these people's stories, and they there are thousands of them across centuries across the globe. This isn't just people repeating the same story; it transcends generations, and they all have similarities. Something is happening to these people: lost time, lost pregnancies, um, scars, yes. implants, you know, all of this stuff. <laughs> this is not stuff that can be. It's not just a delusion. Now. Uh, uh, Gary Bates, who uh, I cite him in my books and in my video series, uh, the 18-part video series, I actually play some clips of his uh, documentary, Alien Intrusion, which I really found helpful, I've, although I totally disagree with his conclusion as to the source of it. He thinks that all these alien abductions are just people having nightmares and delusional dreams. They didn't physically get taken anywhere. I disagree. I think I think that's clear enough. But I've also kind of lost some respect for him because he came out very strongly in favor of the vaccine and was pushing Christians to get it yeah. after I wrote my book. But um, so, you know, I, I think it's very logical that Satan is is engaged in some type of program to simultaneously uh, corrupt the DNA of, of mankind, which mankind is made in God's image. We're the highest pinnacle of creation. We are image bearers and yes. destroy humanity. That's part of the whole depopulation agenda. Uh, but at the same time, he's trying to find a way to create beings. And so 
I there is a connection between AI. We you know I have a technologist that comes on every couple of weeks, a super brilliant guy, and he agrees that uh, demon, demons can inhabit inanimate technology. It's not just human beings that they can inhabit or animals. So I think absolutely, as you said, that an, an, a demon could control an embodied AI uh, and 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 have its way with it and make it do evil things. Of course, AI is bad enough on its own, but I also think <laughs> I also think in addition to AI, Satan is is increasing his army by creating hybrid beings that are they don't have a soul, they're not human, but they look like humans. And if you think about it, you know the flood was what twenty three hundred give or take uh, BC. So we're talking for over four thousand years. Um, I think this world is populated with all kinds of bloodlines of the Nephilim. Yes, it's it's not as potent or strong, maybe after it gets you know generation after generation, but I think the you know the bloodlines are there, and uh, we, you know it's hard to tell when you're talking to someone. Are you talking to a shape shifting demon, or <laughs> talking to a nephilim? I mean, can I touch on that? Yeah. Uh, have you heard speaking of shape shifting? So, do you think that maybe some of them could have shape shifted into the animals that they put on the ark, or and have you heard that? Uh, some some people try to say it was the the wives of Noah's sons. Carried well, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I'm familiar with that view. I you know again I respect it. I just have a hard time theologically getting there because in in the Bible positional righteousness or justification, you know, like Abraham Genesis 15, he believed God was declared righteous. It's the only way we can be made righteous is by faith, and if so, we are, you know perfect in God's eyes in that moment. That's what allows us to get into heaven. Now, our practical righteousness doesn't always reflect our positional righteousness, because we still have that old man, that old nature. But to me, the text seems to indicate that all eight people were righteous, and I just have a hard time seeing that corrupted gene pool, since the whole purpose seems to be to judge Satan's angels and to prevent you know, to start fresh, so to speak. I just find a hard time seeing that he would allow that on the ark. And again, you know, in, there's an alternative that makes perfect sense biblically, and that is that either it was the same Nephilim that shapeshifted and came out on the other side, or you had the fallen angels doing it again, and, and somehow they did it. Uh, but I, I hesitate to believe that you could have a corrupted gene pool on the ark. <clears throat> I have something uh, that I would like to add that you touched upon because I think you said something brilliant and, and I didn't mention it earlier, but I, I've, okay. And listen, you're, you're a pastor, your biblical knowledge is way beyond mine. Um, You've been in the ministry for quite some time. So I really respect your opinion on this, but it's my opinion. And I don't want to scare Christians that, that took a gene altering solution. Okay or people that will become Christians that have taken the gene altering solution, because we also know that there's vaccine shedding and that people, if you have uh, sexual relations with somebody who is vaccinated can actually be a lot of that can be transmitted like a venereal disease, you know, the same. So, uh, you know, the enemy has a ways of getting this solution into people. It's an attack, right? That's what I, this is me, me speaking on my own, but if it's, if it's a gene altering solution and they ramp it up and they're playing with this technology and they're playing with human genetics, and this is an attempt on the enemy, 
this is uh, something that that I've read, and I believe it was ah man. Now the name of the the author of the book is slipping my mind, but he's a really good author. He recently, uh, his name will come to me. But in his book, he kind of theorizes that one of the final attempts of Lucifer is because the price has already been paid. Christ has already won. He's already paid the penalty on the cross. Those you know that that repent and believe upon him are now in God's family and will not. You know they cannot be obtained in this Satan's army. I, I agree with you on that. I think that's a great point that you make. But I also think that the devil is trying to, the enemy is trying to break human beings of their their free gift that God gave us. Because I believe Christ died for human beings. He didn't die for chimeras. He didn't die for cyborgs. So I think a lot of this end time stuff. You know, it says when you take the mark of the beast that you're unclean in, in the Lord's eyes. Uh, I believe that. It's this plan of the enemy to break us of our birthright, you know, of of salvation through Christ, because Christ died for humans. If he could turn us into cyborgs and marry us with technology, or he can completely change our gene pool uh, genetically and turn us into these human kind mirrors and turn us into cyborgs married with technology, then does it break that contract with, with God? You know, because he knows the, the the rules and laws of heaven. Do you yeah. understand what I'm? Yeah, I know. I, I yeah, I've, I've talked about that before, and I, I've, I'm I'm very familiar with that train of thought. Uh, a couple of things again, going back to what we know and theologically, what is you know non negotiable. Um, when you read in, in in Revelation 13 about the mark of the beast, it's important to understand that the mark of the beast is not the cause. Of the eternal damnation of those people, it's just a description. Uh, the cause from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, for all mankind, the only cause of eternal damnation is unbelief. Jesus said, "If you do not believe, I am He. You will die in your sins." So uh, it's kind of like passages that describe some of the behaviors of of the unrighteous, the unbelievers, like First Corinthians six, for example, or Ephesians five. It, and it speaks of you know homosexuality and, and but it lists a bunch of things like covetousness, jealousy, anger, those kind of things. Um, and it says, oh, they won't inherit the kingdom. It's not it's not a cause and effect statement grammatically. If you look at the text, it's not saying because of this you're going to hell. It's saying because you're unrighteous, comma, and as the unrighteous, this is characteristic of your behavior, comma, you're going to hell. I think the same thing's true in Gen- in Revelation 13. Uh, no one goes to hell because they took the mark of the beast, but all who took the mark of the beast are going to hell. That's clear enough from Revelation 13. So back to your 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 train of thought. Um, is it possible that Satan could toy with uh, the gene pool and the the capabilities of of humankind to such an extent that they lose the ability to think straight? Absolutely. We don't need the MRA yeah. to prove that. They've been doing mind control experience and creating super soldiers and using chemicals and psyops and other things to completely blow uh, you know, people's free will away for, for, for years. But I, I think you're right. It is a d- directed attack on the image of God and man, just like the gender okay. movement is. Uh, all of these things are part and parcel to who we are, the free will. We're, you know, as you said, only human beings are redeemable. Oak trees, dogs, cats, llamas, hybrids, any of these other created things are not redeemable. You know, Jesus didn't die so that 
you know, your pet can go to heaven. He died so that mankind created in his image could be restored and have that corrupted image restored by faith so that when we stand at the gates of heaven someday, you know, God sees the righteousness of Christ and not our own uh, human sin. That's the whole Romans 5, the second Adam, and so forth. So uh, so I, I think uh, Satan's attacking humanity in so many ways, uh, you know, mind control, um, propaganda, um, yes, a ultra, all of that stuff that I talk about in the books to to keep people from thinking clearly, seeing clearly, and coming to a volitional choice. Because let's face it, you know, um, with all all respect to you know Calvinists out there, and I am you know decidedly non-Calvinist. I've critiqued them many many times. One of my earlier books was called "Getting the Gospel Wrong." It was all about uh, Calvinism. The fact of the matter is, according to Scripture, every human being on earth has the bona fide choice to either receive or reject the gospel. It's free. It's a gift. But that gift is not forced upon anyone. If it's forced upon, yeah. then it's no longer a gift. So in the same way that we as human beings had the free will to choose to eat the apple, so to speak, in the garden, we have the free will to choose to accept God's remedy for our penalty. And if we do, we're saved. If we reject it, we'll spend eternity in hell. So uh, so Satan, knowing that, is doing everything he can to keep us from being able to make informed choice of trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation. I really like that outlook, and I'm really glad that you shared that. And I think that's an uplifting message, and I think it's something that a lot of people know, because there's a lot of good people out there, a lot of good Christians, a lot of good believers, that people that are just coming into the faith or or will eventually come into the faith that have took a series of these these jabs, you know? And, you know, it, it, it is scary to think of, like, if they change our genetic code, does it break us of our birth, right? But the, the way you put it makes a lot of sense to me, and I think that's a good positive message to to for people to 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 absorb. And I, I do, I, I agree with you on the level that I will disagree with you on something. Like you said, you disagree with some of your friends. All dogs go to heaven. I'm a dog lover. So I, 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 I well, I'm, good I, I, I'm more, and I'll, I'll be honest, I'm more inclined to think dogs go than cats, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you know what? Our pets, I'm, I'm a dog lover and, and just the unconditional love that they give us. A, a dog wouldn't care if you're living in a million dollar mansion or you're sleeping under the bridge, you know? Yeah, I know. I'm they, 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 they love you no matter what. And uh, it's we, just kind of funny, too, that the word dog is it, is an anagram for God. So, no, <laughs> well, I tell you, we shout out, it, shout out to we, my boy Tyler. We love dogs too. Uh, we have four dogs. We live out on property in the in the you know tall timbers here of Colorado. We love them, but the fact of the matter is, you know, you gotta again. It all goes back to what does the Bible say, and and what distinguishes mankind from every other created being is that yeah. God breathed into us the breath of life and yes. an eternal soul. But I want to go back to what we were just talking about about the mark of the beast. Something a verse popped in my mind as you were just talking about the birthright and so forth. Um, to just reinforce what we are saying here, that once a person has trusted Christ, they can never lose that eternal salvation. If it if it's not eternal, then Jesus gave it the worst name possible. He said, the moment you believe in me, you have, present tense, eternal life. You don't get eternal life when you die. You get it when you believe the gospel. And wow. not, if you can lose it, it's not eternal. So it's got the wrong name. But there's lots of other arguments we could make. But I was thinking of Romans 8. Listen to what Paul said. I know you're familiar with this verse. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And 
emphasis there on the principalities and powers. So even if Satan does deceive people into taking the mRNA, now again, after the rapture, into the tribulation period, which is all about Israel's 70th week, uh, clearly the text is, does not leave any wiggle room. If a person in that time doesn't believe the gospel and subsequently takes the mark of the beast, there's no, they're done. Not because they took the mark of the beast, it's just the Bible says at that point, you've crossed the point of no return. So only unbelievers will take the mark, and no believers will. But on, from our point today, looking at life now and all of the setup and the setting of the stage for the technology of the mark of the beast and all of these things that we've talked about, the mRNA and so forth, the Bible's clear that angels, principalities, powers, none of that can undo the promise of Jesus Christ who said, I give you eternal life and you shall never perish. Uh, two questions, and then I'm going to shoot it over to Eric because I'm sure he has some questions for you too. But could somebody uh, become a Christian, accept Jesus Christ, and then turn around and then rebuke that and 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 rebuke their faith and walk away from it and lose it, or or you, you know what I mean by oh. that? And then the other thing that I was going to mention is I do think that the artificial intelligence aspect, as you were talking about it, I think you're right about that. I think what it is, is it a, a complete onslaught of, of psychological attacks, manipulation, programming, all this stuff. And then as they ramp up the technology and they ramp up artificial intelligence and people start getting into virtual reality, and especially when people want to start taking Neuralinks, man, the, the influence is going to be, the delusion is going to be so strong that it, it's really going to be hard to break out of it if you, if, if you get sucked into that world. That's why I think we need to stay connected to Mother Nature and, and, and go outside and go on walks and have our kids disconnect from their devices. I think it's very important. I always tell my kids, man, you've been on that too long, decided to go outside. Let's go play football. Let's, let's uh, go ride your bike. Let's, let's, go for, let's go walk the dog. Let's go do something. Because, I mean, how many families nowadays and mom and dad are stressed out and working long hours and just want to come home and relax? And, they, and the kids at school on devices now all day long, and then the kid comes home from school, and, and the parents are just tired, and it's not saying they're bad parents, but even I've been guilty of it before, like, oh, man, I just can't put up with you right now, like, here, here, and we give them something to, so that they can tinker and play with, to, to, you know? Yeah. Th th this is only becoming stronger and stronger and stronger, and you can tell, man, the enemy's really trying hard to, to, to get inside of our heads. Oh, it really is a battle for the mind. Colossians 2 makes that clear. But let's go back to what you your first question. Um, so I know this is hard for people who, who have not really embraced the true meaning of God's grace and what that stands for in Scripture. But by definition, grace is free. If it's not free, it's not grace. If it's not grace, it's not free. And, you know, I can't give you a gift and then attach strings to it. If I were about to hand you a birthday present and just as you were to take it, I were to say, no, hang on. Here's what I expect from you before I give you this gift. Completely changes the arrangement. It's no longer a gift, it's a contract. And salvation yeah. is not a bilateral contract between us and God. It's a unilateral gift. There's one giver, one receiver. So, you know, what you were asking about is, you know, let, let me just play a hypothetical with you. And I think you'll pick okay. up on where I'm going with this pretty quick, but just play along. Uh, you, you suppose a person who's a believer, uh, is out on a public street, and they're confronted by someone, and in that moment, they deny Christ publicly and vehemently. 
and then they do it again. And then let's say they do it a third time. And after the third time, they're cursing Christ publicly. Is that person going to heaven? Well, obviously, I'm talking about Peter. And if he were to have died yeah. and hit by lightning in the midst of that, of course he would go to heaven. So uh, the Bible is clear that the moment we place our faith in Christ, we become part of the family of God. And it makes the analogy between the physical birth and the spiritual birth. Jesus told Nicodemus, you got wow. to be born from above. So in the same way that physically, if one of my children, God forbid, were to disown me, get angry at me and, and Wendy and say, we hate you, we don't want anything to do with you, and move off and spend the next 50 years of their life disowning us, change their name, a simple DNA test would prove they're a Hickson. And in the same yeah. way, no matter what we do after having received the gift of eternal life, a simple spiritual DNA test proves we're a child of God. And we have a wow. couple of biblical uh, texts here that, that speak to the subject. First of all, you've got John the Baptist, who died in a lonely prison cell questioning whether Jesus is the Son of God. He's in heaven today. And, but you've also got Paul's explicit statement in 2 Timothy 2.12 that even if we are faithless, meaning, and it's opistuo, meaning we have no faith at all, we've given up the faith, the Bible says God remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. And see, we're a child of God, John 1.12. If we believe in him, we become a child of God. So, so yes, I mean, obviously, nobody should do that. Nobody wants to do that. Uh, but if someone gets so far away from the Lord in their journey, they, they get out of the Word of God, they stop fellowshipping with believers, they stop praying, they stop feeding the, the spiritual aspect, that they grieve the Spirit, quench the Spirit, and they make the conscious decision to say, I'm done, I'm throwing in the towel, I don't want anything to do with the Lord. Thankfully, our eternal destiny isn't determined by how much we persevere and how long we hold on to Christ. It's based on the promise of Jesus who said, I give you eternal life and you will never perish. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Eric, man. Well, I was, I had a question on that as well. I think what you were saying more wasn't like, uh, like Peter denying him in the streets or whatever, but I mean, like, what if you like committed a super, a super sin, like murder or, you know, pedophilia or sacrifice of a child? How, how, how does that work? Again, we're not saved by works, and the Bible lumps all those together. And people who look at the so-called big sins and say, well, there's no way that guy's getting into heaven because of his sin, what you're basically saying is God's okay with your lust or your jealousy or your anger or your bad thoughts or your covetousness, but he draws the line at murder, you know? And, and, yeah. and, and the fact of the matter is, all sin is an abomination to God. And, you know, it's prideful. For us to, to, to look at someone else. And again, it, it changes the whole paradigm. It makes salvation dependent on works. And you can categorize those works down to, you know, really, yeah. you know, little bitty sins and great big sins, but it doesn't matter. It's not by works. Titus 3 5, that's the theme verse of our ministry. So obviously, nobody's condoning murder or any of these big sins, nor am I, and let's be clear on this, nor am I suggesting that anyone who claims to be a Christian and then lives like the devil is really a Christian. What I'm saying is, if they're not, it's not because they're living like the devil, it's because they've never placed their faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation. Because there's no sin that an unbeliever can commit that a believer might not also commit if he or she is walking in the flesh. 
You know, it's not yeah. like when you get saved, somehow your your fleshly nature disappears. If it did, we'd all be perfect. <laughs> but we have this struggle, Galatians 5, between the, the flesh and the spirit. The two are contrary to one another. And guess Ooh. what? Cater to the flesh, you're going to look pretty ugly. And, yeah. you know, so take it to its extreme. If you cater to the flesh for your whole Christian life, you're going to look pretty ugly. Uh, so, again, I'm not in any sense condoning some of these horrible behaviors that you're talking about. All I'm saying is theologically, thank the Lord, our eternal destiny is not based upon our behavior. It's based upon the grace of God. Amen. And you know what? You really spoke to me this show because I just, my previous guest that I had, I don't know if you've heard of Josh Monday from the Christian and Conspiracy podcast. You should go on his show, man. He's awesome. Tell him, I, awesome. tell him I'd love to go on. It's, I love the name. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a pretty big platform too, man. I think they just eclipsed 200,000 downloads. And he's an awesome guy, yeah. uh, ex-military, uh, father, Christian rapper, entrepreneur. He's awesome. But you just gave me some confirmation from something that he was kind of trying to get across to me. Because that's one thing that I struggle with in my walk. And like Eric touched upon is like, you know, me being a father of four sons. And, you know, no, and, and, and having, you know, nieces and nephews and stuff and knowing what's going on at our, at our Southern borders and what's going on in these, these, these cults that, that prey on children. And you said you even talk about it in your book, adrenal chrome and oh, stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's hard. It's, that's one of the things that I struggled with is praying for those people that would do something like that to a child. But at the same time, on the flip side, I understand what you're saying, and, and, it, may, and, it, and it makes complete sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, let me clarify, I think we're talking theoretical versus realistic. Do I realistically think a believer can drift so far away from the Lord that they would engage in that type of thing? Absolutely not. I just, I have a hard yeah. seeing how God wouldn't take them home first. You know, because they <laughs> so far. And by the way, there is sin that leads to death. I mean, First John tells us that the Proverbs is very clear that you know sin is an equal opportunity killer. If you're a believer and you fool around with sin and you start, you know, sinning, you know, you're playing with your life. You might die and go to heaven. I mean, you know, if you got two people, one's a Christian and one's not, and we know this for the sake of argument. Let's say we know it for sure, um, and they both start doing, you know, cocaine or some other dangerous drug. It's not like the Christian is somehow immune to the right. death-dealing consequences of sin. It's just the difference is when a Christian dies, he goes to heaven. When a non-Christian dies, he goes to hell. So, I, you know, I find it very hard to believe that someone could engage in some of those satanic rituals and, 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 and be a believer. But I'm just saying, thankfully, thankfully, you know, our destiny, and this is grace. People have to get their hands around grace. It's not about keeping score. God doesn't grade on a curve. It's not like an SAT score. As long as I'm in the 99th percentile, I'm in, or I'm, <laughs> I may not be perfect, but I'm better than most. God doesn't care. Uh, you know, it's it's the blood of Christ that saves us, and that's a free gift, and we accept it by faith. Uh, by the way, I, I knew I recognized the name Josh Monday. Uh, my uh, daughter, who works for us, my one of my adult daughters, she's already booked me on his show n next month, so I'll be on Josh Monday. So. But yes, I love I love his uh, his the name of his show. I don't know. You guys are too young to remember Reagan. But Reagan had that famous quip about I believe it was about Mondale when he was running against him. He said he never met a tax he didn't hike. Uh, I like to say I never met a conspiracy I didn't like. You know, I love to 
<laughs> Here's your shirt, new shirt right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's awesome. And and you know what? You you put it in in words that I was trying to encapsulate. I think that people that are capable of these very dark acts, like harming God, innocent children, I don't think that they they truly have are saved. And and see, we're all still sinners. I make mistakes. And and you're right. The enemy uses our our sin against us to be like. You know, he's done this to me with this show. You know, I've, I've had hard times or, you know, I've had things that have come up that, I, that I've struggled with. I've struggled with drinking throughout my life and, mm. and especially during certain periods of times I've experimented with drugs when I was young. I lived a really crazy past when I was young. And like Eric said, grew up in a sex, drugs and rock and roll family. Maybe not like him, but, you know, older brothers, sisters living in crazy neighborhoods, engaging in wild stuff. But once you really know God and you know his grace and, and and you fall in love with Jesus, it should really transform your heart. And if you really truly are following him and you're loving him, it's just the same way you wouldn't want to keep disappointing your mother or your father when they when they really love you and just want to see you do right. So eventually you're gonna you're gonna start to clean yourself up and you might make a mistake, but you get up and you dust yourself off and you keep going again. Yeah, you, you know, and that's what we need. Yeah, but but I think that for people that 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 are that dark and that deep and that satanic and stuff, I think that's they they're already on that team, man. Now, can, yeah, it can their heart like be it. changed? Yeah, yeah. It, can their heart be changed? Uh, you know, God can do. He's changed people miraculously in the Bible, right? He used some very uh people that were involved in some very dark things and, and turned them around for the kingdom. You know, even a Paul himself, Saul of Tarsus was was persecuting Christians himself, oh, or he became. Yeah, murdering them, murdering them. And then he became the, that built the modern church, you know? Yeah. And, no, absolutely. And so, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's no place, no place too far from the grace of God. It's, you know, the Spirit of God has, has reached a lot of people. I, I've heard testimonies, uh, uh, you know, from people. Maybe you've heard Billy Crone's testimony and many others there in the midst of evil, you know, worse situations than what you're. Uh, experienced uh, when you were younger, and yet somehow the grace of God gets a hold of them. So, um, you know, I want to be very clear that unbelievers that are engaging even in the worst of sins, if they'll simply respond to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in their life and realize they're a sinner who needs a Savior, they can be saved. And, you know, I want to be equally clear that I, again, you know, I find it hard to believe on a practical level that someone who's already saved would drift so far away from yes. that they would engage in that stuff. But I'm just, I'm a theologian at heart, and so I'm trying to, you know, let the scripture speak where it speaks. And um, and by the way, real quick, before I forget, I wanted to ask you, you keep referring to northern New Mexico. We lived um, down there just across the border from Chama for a year in the mountains. Ooh. What part of northern New Mexico were you in? Beautiful. Well, where I've had those uh, UFO experiences, are you familiar with the Pandres Golf Resort? Between uh-huh. Las Vegas and Mora. Okay, oh. so you know where Las Vegas and Mora I do, are. yeah. I've been, I've been uh, to that area. At halfway point, there's a little village called Sapayoto. If you turn it down that, there, there's whiny roads, hills, mountains back there. It's the Sangre de Cristo Mountains. That's where uh, uh-huh. my family's land is. That's where my best friend's land is. I'm not going to be too specific because, you know. That might be your bug out. Them. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, no, exactly, exactly. You know, it's it's it, definitely, I think it's better to have than not need and yeah, and need and not have. Yeah, totally. So, oh, I mean, and and I don't. I think just like you said. I I think I love that. I'm actually going to steal it from you. And I when I say steal, I mean it in a good way. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but I'm going to steal that from you. You know, the whole analogy. If if you're sitting on the train tracks 
and you feel them a rumbling and you see a light and some steam coming down the road, are you going to stay there or are you going to move? Yeah, closing your eyes, you know, it's not going to help you. Yeah, yeah. So that, dude, that is so good, man. I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that for sure. Uh, Eric, man. Just clarify. So kind of what I meant on that is they're trying to create this civil war and they're trying to create a war everywhere. So a, a friend and I were talking and, and he was worried about if he had to defend himself and kill somebody. So that was like, you know, obviously I'm going to defend my family. I don't want to just kill somebody. But if that happens in the process, that's where I was kind of coming with that angle of the murder. Yeah. Well, murder, you know. I like how you break it down. Like, Yeah. The, the Bible is clear. I didn't mean to cut you off, but the, to the, on, in the, the Ten Commandment is not thou shalt not kill. It's often misquoted as that, but the Hebrew term is murder. So the, the law allowed for uh, capital punishment, you know, that actually came before the law, even after the, the flood, uh, with civil government in, in, in Genesis 9. So, yeah, there's no doubt that, uh, you know, self-defense is biblical. You know, God forbid any of us are put in that position. Uh, but, you know, that's the sanctity of life. That's, that's, that's how valuable life is, is that, um, you know, God— uh, and this goes back to something that, you know, Raul said at the very beginning, you know, no matter how bad things get in the lead up to the return of Christ, um, we have a job to do. God has us here for a reason. God doesn't want us to sell all our belongings, move to a mountaintop, live in a cave and sing Kumbaya. He wants us to to be out there on the front lines or, you know, uh, as I've said, run towards the roar. You know, the devil is a roaring lion and we're we're to be battling. That's why he has us here. That's the whole purpose of the present age. And so this, that they've kind of the same idea with the sanctity of life. You know, God loves life so much that if someone's trying to take that life, you you can defend it. So now it gets a little hazy when you're talking about civil unrest and I've got all this food. And, you know, if, if you know, look, if a if hundred gangsters come marching up our property through the trees with weapons, we're unloading and they not one of them is going to get to us. But what if a family of four knocks on my door and says, we're hungry and I need food? And, you know, these are the things that you just have to pray and let the Holy Spirit lead and guide you on. Yeah, I love it. It's, it's great. And I have one other question, uh, something I've been praying on a lot in an answer to um, the term amen and amen. I've heard that, you know, that comes from the Pharisees and stuff to Almond Ra. And so I've just always wondered if it is proper to say that or if we're sending our to the wrong God. No, no, not at all. It's not from them. They, you know, they came along a long after, uh, you know, the God's word. There's a term for that in the Old and New Testament. The Greek is amen. It's a cognate. It's literally transliterating the letters one for one. And we get the English word amen. Uh, You know, uh, Paul says it. uh, Scriptures say it and use it in a possible light. It just means so be it. So it's a way of saying, yes, that's true, or, you know. Is so. Or, it is so, exactly, so be I'm just worried just because the Greeks, you know, idolized the Egyptians so much that maybe that was just something that got corrupted or something and thrown in to, you know, to lead us astray. No, I mean, again, it all comes down to your bibliology, like we talked about at the outset. If you believe the Bible is God's inspired word and infallible, then that kind of settles the issue. How it got there, I mean, obviously everything happens in a context and a culture. Uh, by the time God inspired Moses to write the creation account during the wilderness wanderings, he, he wrote the first five books of the Bible during the 40 years that Israel was in the wilderness. 
by that time, there were already all sorts of flood epics and creation epics, you know, circulating around in the ancient Near East. But they all stemmed from the reality of what actually did happen, which was oh, yeah. verbal testimony for years, and then it was crystallized in the Bible. So the same thing is true in the New Testament. There may have been cultural things that were done, like the Bema seat, for example, the judgment seat of Christ. Paul uses that terminology to describe, you know, a, a future theological issue. So, yeah, I, I don't see any problem with Amen at all. Nice. Uh, I I would. Uh, I know we're probably uh, getting late. I know you said it's late over on your end, but I did want to thank you so much. I think uh, I really need to dig into your books. Uh, I'm just going to let the listeners know, but. Uh, JB sent me his beautiful books, and I got a puppy that got all of the package and did a good number on him. But his daughter was gracious enough to send me a, a PDF file of these books, so I definitely got to get into them. But you guys go go purchase JB's books, and you hear him right here, man. This guy's the goods. And let me tell you what, I really like what you have to say, and and you brought a lot of confirmation to me tonight. You know, the Lord speaks to us through one another, and this was perfect timing. I think this was a great episode. I think you have a, a great positive. Uh, you know, energy about you and, and you, you know, God's word and, and, and preaching that grace and, and how it's a free gift. And it's not a gift attached to a string. I think that that really resonated home with me. There's a lot of listeners that I know that, you know, not everybody that listens to our show is, is a Christian, you know, but I know there's a lot of people out there that are coming back to the faith. They're getting reeled back in and they're like, Hey, you know, this is shows like yours and, you know, shows like Josh's or, you know, other shows that we have a, a community of, of podcasters, you know, that uh, and I, people are really getting reeled in, you know, and it yeah. shows like this. And I think this is a show that can really help people, um, you know, come back to the faith. So I just wanted to thank you, uh, let you know that if I'm ever up in Colorado, man, I want to go visit your church because if your church was here in New Mexico, brother, I'd be going to it. <laughs> I, li- I, well, I, I like what you got to say, brother. You are you are such a blessing. I, I I really love what you guys are doing. It's you're reaching people that uh, you know some of us cannot reach just because you know my journey takes me in a different direction. I, I'm older. I've got a different a target audience, and uh, that's why I love coming on uh, you know the Cliff's show and your show and and Josh. I'm sure will be a similar uh, context because uh, you know we want people to hear the good news in the midst of a lot of bad news and see it through a biblical lens. I encourage everybody to study for themselves. I'm, I appreciate your kind words, but obviously we all know that none of us are right all the yeah. time. I mean, I, you know, I'm sure that uh, as we, if the Lord tarries is coming and we continue to study, I mean, I'm going to refine my views on a lot of things uh, if the scriptures lead me in that direction. But, uh, but yeah, this has been really in- encouraging. You, you can tell it doesn't take much to get me into a good discussion about conspiracies, but uh, so thanks for that, you know. Yeah, for sure. I would like to bring you on again down the road if you're ever interested, because I like to yeah. talk to you a little bit more about some strange things that has ha- that have happened to me. You know, like I'm not going to get into it tonight, but just a little touch of something that I might bring up with you later is when I really got deep into researching the occult when I started having all these uh, strange UFO experiences and stuff, and I found out about Bohemian Grove, and I, oh, yeah. you know, I started to find out who really the hidden hand is, and the secret societies and the Illuminati and the Freemasons and, and Molech worship and all this stuff. And, and I was, I was into researching this stuff. And I remember I was specifically doing some research on Bohemian Grove and, you know, they do, they burn a giant effigy of an owl and they do this, this ritual called the cremation of care in the Redwood forest of California. And it was so odd. 
But right in the midst of researching all that stuff, I started having a giant owl that was following me around Las Vegas, New Mexico, and it appeared on me multiple times. So I would like to yeah. get your opinion on some of this stuff, but then we'll have to save it for another podcast. Well, yeah, let me just let me just mention again the books. I have a whole chapter on Bohemian Grove and other secret societies, and they burn an actual giant owl, which is very much a satanic symbol. But then the, the really disgusting part is they, they sacrifice an effigy of a child. And as you may know, there was uh, one reporter that was able to sneak in posing as a male prostitute uh, and record it in an old, you know, very grainy old school cell phone footage uh, secretly. And, you know, he wasn't close enough to be able to tell if it was truly an effigy or if it might have actually been a real child. But we know now from things like Pizzagate and all the other, you know, satanic ritual yeah. that it's not not without possibility that it was real. So yeah, that Bohemian Grove folks can can uh, learn more at spiritoftheantichrist.org, spiritoftheantichrist.org. And um, yeah, I'm not trying to sell any books. In fact, we give tons of away. Uh, but, you know, I think people, your listeners would benefit from just kind of the comprehensive nature of the whole scheme of the Luciferian conspiracy. Oh yeah. And there's what, three of them? And these are thick three books, folks. They're not, uh, yep. So, and they're brand brand new. I mean, pretty much the last one just came out in September. The previous two came out within a year before that. So they're all still, you know, pretty fresh. I'm definitely going to actually get it. Yeah. Well, Eric, if you want to give away, give away, but I'm definitely going to check them out. And I tell everybody the same thing. Yeah. Or website and buy them, not Amazon. Go to, go to. Yeah. Jeff Bezos has enough. Not over. Yeah. 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 Not by works.org, folks. And I, I'm actually, I know I got you know, gifted some PDF files of the books, but I'm actually going to go and repurchase them again because I have some, some people that I would like to give them to as well. So we like to support your ministry. We thank you for coming on. Any final words or just let them know one more time. And, and we'll, we'll share the appropriate links in the, in the show description and we'll make sure when the episode drops, we'll send it to you and you can share it with your circle as well. But uh, final thoughts for the firm fam of the firmamentalists out there from yep. KB Hickson. Keep up the good work. Uh, keep you know, keep researching, studying. Anything's on the table, you know. But these days, I would believe, you know, I wouldn't discount anything. You can't believe everything, you know. But uh, but you uh, you know, in fact, I, I saw a great quote. Uh, this would be maybe something good to uh, uh, to leave folks with. But this was from uh, and a prayer, maybe if you're up up for it. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Um, so this was an old uh, Kierkegaard philosopher quote. Now, obviously, he wasn't necessarily a believer. I mean, we don't know. But, uh, but he said, there are two ways to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true. The other is to refuse to believe what is true. And that's why being a truth seeker is so critical. And, uh, and so, yeah, let me pray for us. Thank you for having me on. And we'll close it out uh, with prayer. Lord, thank you so much for these guys. Thank you for the Firmamental podcast and just for their their heart and their passion for truth and uh, their inquisitive minds and just their depth of research as well into all of these different uh, uh, you know avenues of, of deceit and deception. I just pray you to bless what they're doing and um, bless the podcast next week with Eric and just pray that it would also honor and glorify you, that it would strengthen the faith of believers and uh, proclaim the gospel clearly and accurately as well. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for this time. And I pray that something that we've said tonight would be uh, really of great value that might change someone's life uh, through your, the work of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you heard it here, folks. That's Pastor J.B. Hickson. And remember, this is Firmamental. 
protect your dome, and we'll see you next time. Peace. How do we find ourselves here within these walls and chains as a teardrop lands? Who is there to blame?